Gracious and Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church, for everybody that is here, for everyone that is watching online, and for the hope that we have in you, and for the mission that you have called us in our sphere of influence, in our community, here in the Naples area. Lord, now as we dialogue, as we open your word, I pray, Lord, that we leave different than how we came in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was my first sermon that I ever preached. Pastor Art, do you remember the first sermon you ever preached? We never forget that, right? And perhaps for you, if you've taken a speech class or at, at some point you've had to speak in public, that is, right? Most of us remember the first time we did that because a lot of us have the fear of public speaking. Now, I'm an extrovert, if you haven't noticed already, so my, I did not have fear of public speaking, but again, I wasn't a pastor yet. You're talking about more than 20 plus years ago. I'm 22 now, so you could imagine I was very young. <laughs> Uh, I, I wasn't a pastor yet. I hadn't received uh, training on exegeting the Word of God, Pastor R, right? On homiletics, as they say. And this is for another day, maybe I will share in September, but I have stuttered and struggled with that my entire life. 20 plus years later, I still struggle with public speaking, believe it or not. I've just done it now for a while. Well, I try to um, control that my mouth is not trying to go faster than my mind. So my mind goes really, really fast. Perhaps in part because I'm Cuban. I don't know. That's for another day. Along with all of that, the occasion for my first sermon was a vigil in Miami. Now, I understand we don't do vigils that much anymore. When is the last time, you don't have to, this is rhetorical, you don't have to raise your hand or those watching online, but when was the last time you went to a vigil? And in case you don't know what a vigil is, totally cool, is, is that it's, it's basically you, uh, we came at around 7 or 7.30 and it would go all night into the wee hours of the morning. So this vigil, on top of just being a vigil, it was a youth vigil, that's right, a youth vigil. This was a good size uh, church, so a lot of people came, and, and in Miami, even, even to this day, everything starts later. I think in Naples, everything closes around 7 or 8 or 9, maybe. Not in Miami, that's when things get started. You know, even worship services begin like at 8 or 8.30. Like, I literally did a week of prayer a while back in a church there, and when I did the week of prayer, it was a young adult week of prayer. They started at around, please don't do this, but they started around 7.30 or 8. This was a while back. But people were like started to show up around 8.30. I began speaking at 9. I finished at around 10. And then all the young people wanted to go out to eat. And we went. So that was, that's just to give you a little mind frame. It was a little different. And it was the same 20 plus years ago. And so here I am again, um, a lot more hair, no gray hair, and all that good stuff. Um, and it's my first sermon. I'm very nervous. And there was a lot of music and poetry and different preachers were going to... I wasn't the only one. There were several people that were going to speak. My turn finally came. 
And if you ask me, what did you preach about? I will honestly tell you I have no idea. I don't remember much, much of what I said that night as a whole. But I can absolutely tell you, without a doubt, the text that I attempted to preach on. You want to see it? The text was John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus saying, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. Now, may, you may look that up, and I want to encourage you already, if you have your Bibles, your phones, an app, whatever it may be, open up to John chapter 12. In verse 32, depending on the version, it may look a little different than what I have up in the screen, but that is a literal translation. And the text says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all. There really is no, if, if your version that you're reading now says, um, draw all men to myself, it really shouldn't say men. It should just say all. And that's why you have, I put people in uh, quotations or in, 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 in brackets, thank you. Because the implication obviously is there, it's people. Men, women, people, all people. Hallelujah. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, would draw all to myself. And though I don't remember much of what I said that night, I do remember, I do remember repeating this verse several times, right? Like, like when in doubt, just continued to repeat the word of God. I continued to say that we had a need and we have a need to lift up Jesus in our lives. The text is forever, forever ingrained in my soul. Not only because it was the first sermon that I ever preached from, but because these words of Jesus continually ring in my ears, they beat in my heart, and they run through my mind. They ring in my ears, they beat in my heart, and they run through my mind. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, would draw all to myself. Yet as time and study of, of the above text and as God's Spirit has led, I believe that He's guided me to go even deeper into the context of when Jesus made this statement. And so I want us to go back a bit and I want us to study chapter 12 and I want us to get to the point get to the place where Jesus says this and, and, and read the context in which Jesus says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, would draw all to myself. So if you're able, let's go back to verses 1 and 2 of this chapter where this text is found. Chapter 12, as I mentioned just a moment ago. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2. They'll also be up on the screen. And this is what verses 1 and 2 say. Again, we're on a journey. The journey is to read the context into which Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, would draw all unto myself. But to get there, I believe we have to look at the further context 
of John chapter 12, at least for today, for time and scope. They only gave me two hours, so I mean, I don't have that much time. It says, six days before the Passover. How many days, church? Friends? Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived. Don't miss that. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Definitely don't miss that. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Ha. Martha served. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, just stop there for a moment, because we can't miss here that the writer of the gospel, John, is trying to convey. This is important, because John is telling this scene, this dinner scene, differently than, than it is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other gospels. Jesus is at the last moments, days of his public earthly ministry last days of his public earthly ministry. And if you really want to get technical, uh, now that I have gone to school just a little bit, <laughs> John chapter 12 marks a break from John chapter 13 on. Because in John chapter 12, Jesus is concluding his public ministry. So let this sink into your minds because with the cross just days away, how many days? Days away. Jesus is being honored. He's at a party, a dinner party, with the person he just raised after being dead for how many days? Some of you may recall. Four days in the tomb. Now, I don't know about you. Pastor Art, that's a dinner party I want to go to. Come on, wouldn't you want to see a dead guy come uh, be alive again? We, we sometimes read this in the scripture like, hey, yeah, Lazarus, you know, arose. Cool. Next verse. No, no, like stop with that. That's, that's not a small thing. And now he's at a dinner party with Jesus. This is a cool party. You have Lazarus. You have Jesus. And though not in John, but the one throwing the party, you may recall, is Simon, who was healed from leprosy. Now, John, for whatever reason, doesn't mention that here. But for, for, for further context, this is the party you want to be at. And in the midst of this dinner, we also have the famous scene where Mary pours an expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. A lot is happening at this dinner party. And John, who was present and the writer of this gospel, wants to make sure we understand this. It's a beautiful scene, but the narrative is seemingly interrupted by John then telling us that Judas, who would later betray Jesus, was questioning why Mary was using this expensive perfume. It could have been used to the, for the poor. But, but John, again, makes it clear... His real concern was that he was a thief. His concern was for himself, because he was taking money. Now, the story of Mary, as I mentioned, is a beautiful story that I'm sure many of us, if not all of us, have heard songs and sermons from. Yet, as we continue our journey to when Jesus speaks our text at study today, Listen to what John says about this dinner party before he moves on 
in his narrative in John chapter 12. And we find this in verses 9 through 11. He says, meanwhile, I may have um, jumped. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and some and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, don't miss this, for an account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So, so John is painting again a different picture here. Let's, let's, this is a Bible study this morning. It's okay. John doesn't give too much information as some of the other gospel students about this dinner party or about Mary. He seems to be going somewhere, and that's kind of what we're going with this narrative. And he lets us know that, hey, ultimately, ultimately, don't miss those last words. Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. John is essentially telling us at some level that this dinner party was the place to be in large part because people were coming to see Jesus and believing in Jesus. And so from this dinner scene, the narrative now turns to Jesus' well-known triumphant entrance in Jerusalem. Now, you may or may not know, and that's okay, but remember, the dinner party was being held where, church? Where? Bethany. Good job. Which was only a few miles away from Jerusalem. I believe, actually, it was like 1.7 miles. Like, that's a warm-up run for me, all right? I'll be running behind Jesus, going to Jerusalem. Jesus' triumphant entrance to Jerusalem was a prophesied scene. Hosanna, they shouted, which means what? Save. It was being shouted here, and yet, as with the dinner scene, much can be said about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But John, but John doesn't spend too much time speaking about it. In the narrative. And we're on a mission, us, we're on a mission to get where Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, would draw what? All to myself. But I now want to read again the words of John before he transitions to the next scene that takes us to where Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the, what? Earth will draw all to myself. Listen to what John says. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb, don't miss this, and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, you know what the sign was, right? Like raising Lazarus from the dead. That's kind of a big sign, right? 
went out to meet him. And don't miss this line. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look, look, Naples, church, family, friends, those online. Look, look, now the whole world has gone after him. Fascinating. Again, sometimes I've, I've been at fault at this. We, we read these things and we just read right by it. But John, I believe, is, this is a narrative. He is, there's no chapter in verses when he's writing this. His mind is working through the Spirit of God, leading us, guiding us. He's showing these different scenes and he's purposely inserting what we just read. The Pharisees saying, look how the whole world has gone after him. And now John transitions to another scene which ultimately leads us to our text. Will you say it with me? And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. Listen to what John says in his gospel with the very next verse. After the verse that we just quoted where the Pharisees said the whole world is coming after him. John says... Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. This scene is found in no other place in the Gospels. At first, we may even think if we just read through this, and I've been guilty of this, John, what do I care that Greeks came to see Jesus? But the reality is, as we've been flowing the narrative, John wants to make it clear. Because we just read that the Pharisees had said what? The whole world has gone after him. And then after Jesus, and now he inserts here, now there were some Greeks. Perhaps for some at first, again, at first glance, it may seem out of place, yet read in context as we have intentionally, it seems that John was trying to make an ongoing point even before he would quote the words of Jesus that we are studying here, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, would draw all to myself. Because in that verse 19, as we just read, as I just mentioned, they said, look, how the whole world is going after him. And then in this next, in this very next text, that is exactly what John is trying to tell us is happening. When Jesus hears that the Greeks came by Philip, that we would like to see Jesus, when Jesus hears this, watch this interaction here. The hour has come. This is Jesus responding. You know, it's really interesting. It's, it's kind of like a scene from The Chosen. Anybody here seen The Chosen? Amen. If not, you should see The Chosen. Download the app. Watch it. It is an incredible series, incredibly directed, and I highly encourage it. My wife has seen it 275,000 times. And, um, okay, a little less. I'm, I'm totally exaggerating. 274,000 times. Um, we have seen it. We really, really enjoy this series. It's doing an excellent job um, of it. And so... But it almost seems like one of these scenes because um, Philip goes to Andrew 
And then they go and tell Jesus. You know, you could almost see this, this a scene there from the chosen similarly. But this is what Jesus responds once he hears that the Greeks have come to see him. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very, very truly, unless a kernel of wheat fails to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone... Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus says. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He was just days away from the cross, remember. Now it was for this very reason I came to this hour. As a matter of fact, when he is saying this, he is even closer than at the dinner scene, literally days away. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Then Jesus said, here we go. The, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And here is where we have our text in context. Now Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. One of my professors back in the day, Dr. John Pauline, Theology professor. Did you ever have, was he, no? Dr. John Pauline, great guy. Um, he's now teaching at Loma Linda University. He specializes in the work of John, the Gospels, the Epistles, and of course, Revelation. But listen to what he says, commenting on this very same passages. He says, the arrival of the Greeks on the scene confirms the verdict of verse 19, as we've been studying, and the whole world has gone after him. You see, when Jesus hears that the Greeks are coming after him, in his mind it seems that he is saying, oh, my time has come. The whole world is now hearing about what I'm about to do. Don't miss that. This golden moment, Pauline says, evidently functioned as some sort of signal to Jesus personally, for he recognizes in the arrival of the Greeks, the arrival of his hour, the hour of Jesus' glorification, which John mentions, in the fourth gospel is seen not only in his resurrection and ascension, but also in his self-sacrificing suffering and death. Wow. You see, most likely, the Greeks had heard about the resurrected Lazarus. They had heard about Jesus' triumphal entry. Like Jesus had gone viral at this time, right? And today, he, his, his, his video on YouTube or TikTok would have gone viral, or both. You would have seen a little TikTok, what is it, 60-second video of Jesus on a donkey coming into Jerusalem. With some kind of music in the background. I don't know what kind of music that would have been. Though. You would have had a video, perhaps, of Lazarus. Look, dead guy's alive. But 
they had heard, the Greeks, about Jesus' triumphal entry. Jesus' life, Jesus' life had begun with people from the east coming to visit him, right? And maybe you've missed this. Now his life was ending with people from the west coming. Hmm. Context. But what these Greeks who came and said, I want to see Jesus. Can we see Jesus? But what these Greeks would soon come to see is Jesus crucified on the cross. The Jesus that had just recently raised a man from the dead. That was the talk of the town. And people came to see the Jesus that had entered in the city in Jerusalem as a king. Jesus ultimately makes clear, as he had done before in his ministry, now as he is ending his public ministry, that it's not about miracles. It wasn't about him becoming the earthly king the earthly king of the Jews, and overthrowing Rome. No, the Greeks would and did see Jesus. Now, we don't have all that interaction of what they said, because it doesn't seem that's John's point. John's point is, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. John doesn't tell us what happened to those Greeks, those individuals that ultimately spoke with Jesus. I... I and again, that was not his point. I want to reiterate that, in my opinion. Because it was all about, and if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. It is the fact that many were believing in Jesus, but John quotes these words of Jesus in the midst of this encounter with Jesus and the Greeks that seems to give that signal to what the future would hold which is that people from all walks of life, all walks of life down the corridor of time would come and see Jesus dying on the cross, including the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church and the Naples community and those watching online and what it means for their lives. If they would believe in Him, everything, everything would change because Jesus' death on the cross, along with His resurrection, of course, changes and changed everything. If only I can tell you, I don't have time, but I am only here by the grace of God, if not ask my wife another day. And if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. So the Greeks said, we would like to see Jesus. Are you regularly seeing Jesus? Am I regularly seeing Jesus? Am I regularly seeing Jesus? And I, if I am lifted up, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, would draw all to myself. Jesus says, and if, right? If. I got to be honest with you. Be transparent with you. Consider myself a very transparent person. Like if you ask me on a Sabbath morning, happy Sabbath, how was your day? You better really want to know how was my day or my week. Like, can we not ask people how are you if we don't really want to know how they are? Just say happy Sabbath, I guess. Maybe that's my little rant. It's over. It's gone. But if you want to know, 
I'll tell you, it was a bad week. Sometimes it's a bad week. By the glory and grace of God, we made it, right? Amen? And sometimes it was a great week. Hallelujah. And sometimes it was somewhere in between. But honestly, if I'm not careful, intentional, persistent, and diligent, it can be easy to go through each day and not choose to see Jesus. And truthfully, it seems that the devil, in my belief, has straight up doing everything he can to make sure you and I don't see Jesus lifted up. We live perhaps the easiest time in human history which we can easily be distracted, beginning with myself. We live in an era in which we all know we consume large amounts of information throughout the day consistently. Social media may top the list for many. The abundance and ease to stream any kind of news and movie. And of course, if we're not, caref if we're not careful, we are pulled into a vortex of endlessly scrolling and or watching YouTube, whatever kind of videos. And now TikTok, of course. And by the way, according to some, the most viewed site in America of all websites is, what'd you say? Actually, no, it's YouTube in America. About 83% get on YouTube at some point. Perhaps some of you are on it right now watching the stream. Through God's grace and empowerment, I must, I can only speak for myself, I must be careful, intentional, persistent, and diligent in order to not be distracted. The Greeks wanted to see Jesus. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying all that is bad. Absolutely not. Again, it's been extremely helpful to move forward the word of God as well. Amen? And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto myself. But in the midst of trying to be distracted in that conversation, I am reminded of something that one of my favorite writers penned well over 100 years ago, but still applies heavily to us today. Ellen Wright, writer, supreme, and co-founder of, of our community of faith, our, our church, and her classic, The Desire of Ages, which speaks of the life of Jesus, says this. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take point by point and let the imagination grasp, that's, that's interesting, and let the imagination grasp each, what? Scene. And that's what we've been trying to do here a little bit this morning. Especially the what? The closing one. As we thus dwell upon His great sacrifice for us, our confidence in Him will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with His, with His Spirit. Hallelujah. Especially the closing scenes, she says. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. The more I meditate on the life and mission of Jesus, especially those closing scenes, and dig deeper and deeper into understanding 
even in my feeble mind, the beauty and love of Jesus' sacrificial suffering, death, and resurrection, it leads me and compels me to want to follow Jesus and His sacrifice that He did for me all the way, my time, treasure, talents, all to Him I surrender. He gave all for me, now I want to give all to Him. We read earlier Jesus saying, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Are we ready? Are we ready to truly follow Jesus as we come and see his sacrifice for all of us? The famed German and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his classic, The Cost of Discipleship, says, uh, can we go one back? Says this powerful one-liner. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And if you haven't read the, the classic as well, The Cost of Discipleship, I encourage you to get on whatever, wherever you buy books and look for The Cost of Discipleship. What a story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's as well. When Christ calls a man, or when Christ calls, again, anyone, <laughs> he bids him come and die. And one more that goes into the same you know, vein from Ellen White, and it says, the law of self-sacrifice is the law of self-preservation. Powerful words. To give is to live. Wow. To give is to live. In a world that says, that says to live is to receive, right? In some, in, some, in, in some avenues. The life that will be preserved is the life that is freely given in service to God and man. And those who for Christ's sake sacrifice their life in this world would keep it unto eternal life. And I, if I be lifted up, would draw all to myself. You know, I began this sermon by telling you that I didn't remember much of anything I said. And I'm going to invite the worship team up. It was my first sermon, and I don't remember much of anything that I said 20-plus years ago. But I would venture to say that if, if, if we're all honest, we were talking about transparency, you too will forget much of everything I have said here today. Some of you will forget, perhaps, by the time you go and eat. I don't know. Maybe I'll forget what I said here by the time I go and eat and take a nap. And I get it. But I also stated at the very beginning that there was one thing that I did not forget from that sermon. It was one thing that it rings in my ears, it beats in my heart and runs through my mind which I stated that I did remember and that I repeated several times. And if you've noticed, I've repeated it several times here. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all into myself. So if you leave here today and you don't remember anything I said, but you remember John 12, 32 and its context, and I, if I be lifted up, from the earth will draw all to myself. Mission accomplished. Because when we see Jesus and for what he did, 
you and I, we can never be the same. 